Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. One of the joys we have in being the family of God is watching our young people grow and develop along the way. Great to see Nolan up here reading. Good to see his physical growth. They didn't have to pull the stool out and step on it. So that's great to see, as well as to see his spiritual growth coming along as well. We're very delighted in that. Norman made mention of welcoming our visitors. I'm looking around and I says, you know, I think all of our visitors that I see are probably under the age of five. But that's good. So we're grateful to see him. Well, Michael, you're not quite under the age of five, but we're glad to have you here too. I want you to mark First Corinthians three, one through eleven. And then in a few moments I want you to, to turn back to the Gospel of Luke in chapter five. And we'll look at verse 4 through 11 in a, in a way. Our desire is to be faithful servants of God, to be found pleasing in His sight, using what He has given to us and entrusted to us, recognizing that He's given to us more than we realize, and He's entrusted to us a greater gift than we can ever imagine. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to save the souls 
of those that are lost in a dark and dying world. We're striving in our life that we live as children of God to avoid what we find in Jeremiah 8 and in verse 20. We're there, we're told the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. God grants us time, grants time to each individual. And each individual believes that there is yet time for them to make changes and to do the things that they ought to do. But Jeremiah is reminding us, listen, before we realize it, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. We intend to. We intend either to become that child of God, knowing the things that God would have us to do, or we intend to do more for God as the days unfold for us. But we tend to put it off. And we're not careful. We'll miss what God has offered to those who are faithful to Him. There are two sides, both in the account read for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11, and also in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. There are two sides involved in this. There's man's point of view. And there's God's point of view. We may see it one way, and we do because we look with a physical eye. We view things as we perceive them with our physical mind. And we react to them with our physical heart. And sometimes we forget the spiritual side that is just as important and just as vital as the actions and the decisions that we take or make along the way. They go together. God works with us. We work with God. And yet there is a difference. And we, we struggle with that at times in the life that we live with the, between the physical and the spiritual. We read in the Gospel of Luke, and in chapter 5, In verse 4 through 11, Jesus has been talking to the multitudes there from 1 to 3. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Again, I want you to see God's side. And I want you to notice man's side. Jesus is telling his disciples to launch out into the deep, let down their nets, and they will catch their fish. But Simon, who is a fisherman by trade up to this point, spent his livelihood fishing on the Sea of Galilee, said, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Man's perspective of how they view things along the way. And then we'll see the response as Jesus continues with them. But nevertheless, 
There's a key there. That nevertheless at your word. I will let down the net. He's acknowledging this spiritual side. Again thinking for us as well. We are the children of God. We're the spiritual children of God. He's given us a task to share the gospel with all of those that we come in contact with. And there are times within our lives that we may have the same perspective that Peter has at this time. Listen, we've toiled. We've toiled all night. We've knocked doors. We've invited people. We've done this. We've tried everything that we can do. And there is no response. But do we catch the latter part of it? But nevertheless, at your word, we'll do what we're asked to do. That has not changed. That's still what's required of us. We perceive with the physical eye of whether we've caught anything or not, that we've shared and people have responded to or not, if they've changed their lives or not. But ours is to do what the Master has said to do. For us and the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The responsibility has, is on their side. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he who does not believe shall be condemned. And we forget the power out of Romans 1.16. The power of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what saves the individual. Not our particular method or our desire to do what we see to be best. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, both the boats, so that they were begin to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man of God. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Do we catch the power of God that far exceeds anything that we have imagined? And at times it's difficult because we imagine we perceive, we look with the physical eye. Again, go back to Simon. I or we have toiled all night. Us. We have labored in the vineyard of the Lord. We're striving to do his will. And yet have caught nothing. How many people of God's people have become discouraged? Because they have not seen with the physical eye the fruit of their labors that they have done either in a specific situation or in a specific location or over a period of time within one's life and become discouraged of what's unfolding or has it unfolded for us. We've done everything that we know how to do, Simon is saying. Listen, we have the boats we have the nets. We've made the preparation. We've had the bait. We've, we've cast the nets out into the deep and caught nothing. 
We have done everything that we know how to do. But there's no fish. And how do I know there's no fish out there? Because we've been out there all night. Because I've been out there all night and I've cast my nets out there and I've caught nothing. Does that mean there's no fish out there? Because I've given my life to spreading the word of God. Because I've used what he has given, the talents, capabilities, and whatever else is there. I've used the means that have been presented for us through a variety of different sources. And shared the word and have not seen with the physical eye the result. Does that mean the fish are not out there? Does that mean they're not lost souls out there waiting, waiting, waiting? For that one additional try that we see take place here. We've learned from others. Peter had to learn how to become a fisherman from others. The boat, the net, preparing, making preparation along the way. Learning the habits of the fish. Depending on what you're fishing for, where you go for Depending on the fish, the type of bait that you use. That comes through our trial and error along the way. You do not catch constantly. And when you're not catching fish constantly, you're constantly preparing. Mending the nets. Washing the nets, drying them out. Taking care of the boat. Getting ready for the next time to go out. So you're not always fishing, as we could use that term, for the souls of men. There is a lot of preparation, a lot of concern and prayers that go on long before that does take place. You learn the habits of the fish. Can depend on what fish you're looking for and, uh, and here as to where you fish. But also, you're not always successful. You can go to the same location. You can use the same bait. You can be there at the same time and catch absolutely nothing. You go out at another time, same location, same bait, and catch fish. So it's a learning process. But we do have that tendency of drawing conclusions about all of this with our physical mind. Well, I know how to fish. I've fished for years. I know the proper bait to be to use, but may not have used it or didn't catch fish at that particular time. Sometimes the bait works and sometimes it doesn't. I've known individuals who love to bass fish. And that's what they would spend their weekends doing. Well, Saturdays do and Sunday they'd be at services. But Saturdays were given to bass fishing. Ask him one time, what have you spent to bass fish? He said, I'm not telling you. Because the size of the boat, and if you fishermen or if you do boating, uh, sometimes you get a, 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 affected by what they call the two-foot-itis. 
If you got a 12-foot boat, you want a 14-foot boat. If you got a 16-foot boat, you want an 18-foot boat. Whatever it is, you want two feet, two feet more than what you got. And somehow you end up getting it. Well, you have the boat, you got the trailer, you got the truck to pull it. You got the fishing material, the rods, the reels, the bait, and everything else. Once a year, they'd make a trip down to Springfield, Missouri to Bass Pro. That's the granddaddy of, of the Bass Pro shops. And they just stock up for the whole year. Baits, lures, lines, you know, rod and reels, and everything else that goes along with it. And somebody could go out there with a cane pole, a little bit of string on it, probably nothing more than a safety pin, put a little bait on there, guess what? Catch fish. We've got to have everything just right. We've got to have the best of everything before we can go out. And sometimes they're no more successful than the others. They'd have a fish fry about once a year, and again, they said they never did want to figure out what it costs per pound for those fish because of what they spent. But they enjoyed doing that. I'm just simply saying, because we think we know, because we think we have the right equipment, because we think we know the location, because we think we've done everything right, does not mean that we will be successful every time we go out. And that's true spiritually as well. And sometimes that's hard for us to learn spiritually to make that application within our lives. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it takes a longer period of time. In the reading this morning, out of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul reminds us of several other factors that sometimes we forget as we search for souls and fish for men. I plant, Apollos watered, but God, hear that one? But God gave the increase. I think that if I do the planting and I think if another does the watering, we will have the increase. It's not what it says. God gives the increase. It's what makes Christianity different from all the other parables of examples that we use, fishing, whatever else it may be in the business. We have all kinds of scenarios that we use and formulas that are there. If we do this, 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 and this, this will be the result. If we do it this way and wait for a period of time and do it this way, planting a crop and watering upon and waiting for the where have our crop at the end. We've got it all mapped out. And so many times we forget. We look at the end, whose we are and who's involved and who it is that gives the increase. Who gives the increase? God gives that increase. How does he give that increase? By touching the soul of a sinner with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For what? It. It is the power of God. For what? For salvation. To whom? To everyone who believes. To whom? To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. 
And you think of the variation between that, those two words there, Jew, Gentile. You think of the attitudes that are involved in the Jews and in the Gentiles. Of how they viewed each other and how they viewed one another. And then remind yourselves, that's not it. The power is in the gospel. Well, I just understand everything the Jews believe, I will be able to reach, reach them better. I can just understand how the Gentiles, how the heathen in the world live and, and do the things that they do and why they do them. I'll be able to reach them better. No, you reach them with the power of God. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The opportunity to share, yes. The opportunity to study with them, yes. But recognizing as we do such that it indeed is God who will give that increase. Jesus is the one that gives that increase. Again, back to the reading out of Luke 5, 4 through 11. Lord, we've labored all night, and we've caught nothing. But nevertheless, what? At your word. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it again. Why? Why? They know the master. They know the power of the master. They know the reason why the master was there for them in Jesus' day and what he was going to do. They knew he came from God. They were willing to trust God. Nevertheless, it's your word. We will cast the net. For a catch. It's interesting. Tell them, launch out into the deep and let down your nets and your catch. You ever thought about that? Where, where is the deep in the Sea of Galilee? I mean, did he specify the exact location, longitude and latitude, you know, say, Wherever it is, go to this particular point and cast out your net. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide at its widest point. The Sea of Galilee has a circumference of 32 miles around from shore to sh- around the shoreline. 32 miles along the <coughs> circumference of it. It has a depth of about 150 feet. Now, where is the deep? God knows. He sent him out. And wherever it was, guess what? When they let the nets down, they caught the fish. Do we trust God? Do we have that confidence in God? Go out into the deep and let down your nets. <laughs> Where? Go out into all the world and cast the word of God. Where? You go. It'll show. God has a hand in what has taken place. And we need to have an understanding of that. We need to understand for the fishermen of Jesus' day, 
and for us as fishers of men in our day, ask yourself some questions. Who made the fish? Who made the fish? And who gave them the habits that they have? Who made man? And who gave man the capability of developing characteristics and habits? Do we not think that God is unaware? Or do we think that God is unaware of the nature of man that he has created in his own image? That he's unaware of the thinking process of man? Genesis 6, what did he know? That every thought of man was on evil continually. He knew man. He made man. So he knows. That's what he said. When you go scatter the seed, not all the seed is going to germinate. The power is in the seed. The seed is the word of God. That's where the power is, but it's not all going to germinate for one reason or another. And as it does germinate in some cases, it has various effects. Well, the world has various effects on the plant surviving or not. But depending on the heart, of those who receive it. As we think about being fishers of men, as we think about being fellow workers with God, as was in the reading this morning, is not God involved? And is He not aware of the very life that we live, the situation that we are in? What's unfolding? Who is out there? Remember what Esther was told in Esther 4 and verse 14? Didn't want to go before the king. Might lose her life. But was told, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Powerful statement. How do you know that your birth, your upbringing, your working wherever it is you work, you're being transferred wherever it is that you've been transferred from place to place, how do you know that you're not in the kingdom of God for such a time as this? You do God's bidding. She was told, if you do not, God will do his part. He will take care of the situation, but you're going to suffer consequence. But I'm saying, do you not believe that God is aware of who we are and what we do, what we're capable of doing, and He's not, and that he has the power and the ability and his foreknowledge to move us where he wants us to be at a time when he wants us to be there. So, you serve where you are. That's what Esther ended up doing. You look over in the book of Acts. Read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's an interesting story there as well, is it not? A man from Ethiopia had come to Jerusalem to worship God. Everyone want to backtrack that just a little bit? 
How did the Ethiopian learn anything about God? How did he have a scroll of the book of Isaiah with him in his chariot as he's returning home? I do not believe he bought it at the the flea market when he was in Jerusalem. How did he have that? Where, Where did he come in contact with? Same. What we in... Jesus will bring that out later as well. What we reap is what others have sown. Somewhere down the line, somewhere in history, God's word had permeated down to Ethiopia. And somehow this eunuch had got, had received that scroll, had read in it, and was willing to make the trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping God of whom he had not heard of before he was reading in that scroll. Somebody sowed the seed. Somebody gave the increase along the way. God is still working. Then to tell Philip. We read what he was doing in Acts 8. He was doing a magnificent work in Samaria. And you need to spend some time doing working with that one. The Samaritans. And the history between the Jews and the Samaritans and the good report or the rapport between them. But how again, Romans 1 16 enters into the picture. The power of God for salvation. To change those lives. It was working. Philip was doing a good job down in Samaria. We're told, go to the desert. I mean, that's the most likely prospect, the likely place you're going to find a prospect, isn't it? You go out into the desert. Where? (laughs) Get on this road going to Gaza. Just go on down that road. And to meet the man. And to be able to open the word of God. And as the scriptures say, reading out of Isaiah, then preached unto him Jesus. Time. God working. Acts 9. Conversion of Saul of Tarsus. I love Ananias. I mean, you read that. I mean, you look at that. Ananias, I want you to go down to this house and Saul of Tarsus is down there and I want you to talk to him. And Ananias' response is just what we do so many times. Come on, Lord. Do you not know what that man is like? Do you not know what he's doing to Christians? And you want me to go down and talk to him? Oh, my. You go. He's a chosen vessel for me. But how many times do we do that with God? You're given an opportunity. How do we want to take advantage of it? What do you mean, Lord, you want me to go behind steel doors? What do you mean you want me to walk into death row and talk to the men there? Wow, surely you're mistaken. There's an opportunity. 
Do we doubt God? Do we do that question as Ananias did? You really want me to go down there? Don't you know what he does? Don't you know why he's here? And you want me to go say, hey, here I am. You're looking for me. Here I am. I don't want to go. We are fishers of men and we're co-workers with God. And we need to understand that in our life. John reminds us in John 4, verses 35 through 38. One sows, another reaps. The harvest is now. It's not yet four months down the road. It's now. Do we understand what he's asking us to do? He goes on to tell him, he says, you are, you are going to reap what somebody else has sown. Scripture has already told us that. Somebody else has already sown seed. Someone else may have been watering upon that seed, and you come along. You're going to reap what somebody else has sown. And on the, the other side of that is, you are going to sow what somebody else is going to reap. I'm sowing the seed. I see no results of what I'm doing. I'm looking with the physical eye. Do I not look with the spiritual eye? I sow the seed. I water upon it. Somebody else waters upon it. God gives the increase. We're co-workers with God. We're working with Him. He knows the souls of men. He knows the hearts of men. He has His time frame that we do not see or understand. Do we trust Him? You do your part. Let God do His part. He's done very well in doing His part. Why do we doubt Him? Does it matter? If I sow the seed and I water upon that seed, I watch that seed grow, I nurture that seed, let it grow into a full plant, and then know, is that what I'm looking for? Is that what we're looking for? I want to see myself in every step of the way until we get this mature Christian and say, look what we've been able to do. To take this man from here and to take him up to here. Is that what we're looking to do? Rather than trusting God. So, water, God gives that increase. And that's what we need to remember in our life. If we do not sow, others cannot reap. That's involved in it as well. If we're not doing our part of where we are with what we have, others will not be able to benefit from that. Do we trust God enough to do His will? Paul says we are co-workers with God. Catch that, if you will. Go back to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we think or even ask. We are co-workers with Him. Does that not give you some encouragement? Does that not challenge you to lift up your eyes and see a picture that you haven't seen before? God working in this world that he has created with the purpose of saving souls that are lost and doomed for hell unless they respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But also he says, not only are we God's co-workers, we are God's field. Hmm. That's you. That's me. I work with God, but I'm also God's field. That means God is working in me. He's working in you. He's changing your life. Encouraging, challenging you to, to become somebody different than what you thought you were before. Do you trust God? You're, you're His field. And you're His building. He's working in you. We belong to Him. We're getting excited about building a new building. And when it, when it gets started, I encourage you to go by from time to time. Look. Look when they clear that land out and dig some holes in the ground and say, you know, how's that all going to work together? Then watch them put up different parts of that building. And see how they have to work together. How it's designed. So that it can function as a, for a purpose that it's designed to do. For us to use it for the glory of God. We're His. Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. We need to know that. God has a way of working that we don't, we're not familiar with. Because our ways are not His. We, we're not fully developed in that area. But the more we live and the more we strive, the more we grow, the more we read and study, the more we make the application within our lives, the more we see the hand of God. I see Him working. May not be the time frame I'd like. What difference does it make if it's not my time frame? Because God is in control. He's working His will out in His time frame for His glory. And we share in that if we give the heart to God. So the question is, where is your heart this morning? Have you given it to God? Have you trusted Him with your life? Are you willing to do the things that He would have you to do to be found pleasing in His sight? There may be a need for us to come to Jesus, become that child of God, or to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. The opportunity again is God has provided us a time and an opportunity in which to make changes in our lives, be found pleasing in His sight. Will we avail ourselves of what He's given to us? And will we use what He's given to us for His glory and for His honor? If your life is not where it needs to be, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.